0: This episode of Back Talk is brought to you by longtime bitch media sponsor, Glad Rags, bringing you all of the essentials for a safe, sustainable period. Learn more about cloth pads and menstrual cups, plus get free shipping within the USA on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at gladrags.com. Make sure to tell them that Backtalk sent you. Welcome to Back Talk, a podcast with two feminist
1: people talking about pop culture stuff. Hi, Amy. Hi. Hey. <laughs> excited to be here on Back Talk.
0: Yes, uh, I am Amy Lamb, the associate editor at Bitch Media, and um, I've been busy trying to find writers contributors and one of the most awesome things is like when i reach out to some folks um, in particular i'm looking for writers of color and then like i ask them oh are you interested in pitching something to us and when they reply and they say actually i'm a big fan of bitch and i've been meaning to pitch i just haven't oh that's so cool yeah that's like really reaffirming about like our work and um about our audience and you know and who we want to reach and who we want to highlight so that's been really great (laughs)
1: Um, well, my name is Sarah Merck and I'm the online editor at Bitch. And if you want to feel unaffirmed and <laughs> negative, <laughs> my job this week has involved wading through Facebook comments about Beyonce on our various posts about Formation, Beyonce's new video. Um, man, brings out some haters. Some feelings. Brings yeah. out some feelings. Um, there's a lot, there's like a fair number of people in, in the comments trying to argue why they don't like Beyonce and uh, how people shouldn't support her for various made-up reasons wow that sounds horrible Sarah. <laughs> you need we need to switch things and it's a fine line where you're like should i just let this person keep talking or should i hide their comment or delete it like for their own benefit because they're digging their own grave here <laughs> and so mostly i just let them keep talking <laughs> <laughs> let your
0: idiocy shine um so we start off the show by talking about like a favorite pop culture moment and uh so many amazing things have happened since we last did back talk. like for ex- example um beyonce's formation video came out. she had that amazing performance at the super bowl and um a seat opened up on the supreme court but <laughs> you mean your
1: favorite pop culture moment is that
0: uh scalia's dead is that well, why i saying? didn't i didn't want to like get crazy with that so so my actual favorite pop culture moment is last night i got to see uh two of the founders of black lives matter speak oh cool yeah alicia garza and opal Tometi spoke at um at the local one of the local colleges here at psu and it was so amazing and awesome and like empowering and it was just great to have like the energy of all these folks packed into the, the, the gym there and just listening to them talk and one of my biggest takeaways is um how they talked about like movement building and what it means to be a movement. And, uh, Alicia Garza really drove home this notion that like, we have to close the gap between what we say and what we actually do. So we can talk the talk, but we actually have to walk the walk to make real, like sustainable change. Um, so that's something that one of my biggest takeaways. And then another thing was that she says that, you know, real change and real movements, um, are inconvenient and are uncomfortable and if it isn't inconvenient and uncomfortable then like it probably means that serious change isn't happening so we need to just deal with it being uncomfortable and inconvenient
1: um so that's that was it was such a great talk that's great i think my favorite pop culture moment of the week is i went down a real uh spiral looking at um uh, pbs's independent lens oh god such video a site. Good series oh yeah it's so Ooh. cool uh i was caught on my radar this week because independent lens uh just released a new documentary about the history of the black panthers uh, that looked like a really interesting film and so then i started looking at all their other videos and now i have like this backlog of like <laughs> of like 10 different movies i want to watch produced by pbs's independent lens and they all have like clips on there and you can watch trailers. Uh, So I went down kind of a rabbit hole with that over the weekend being like, what is this Black Panther documentary? And oh my God, look at these other things they're producing too. And don't a lot of them, aren't they still streaming on their website? I've I've watched full
0: documentaries from their website before. Yeah,
1: a lot of the films are streaming on their website. You can just go watch them for free. Wow, PBS. (sighs) Thanks, PBS.
0: (laughs) Okay, so our first topic is the oscars again the oscars are coming up yes in a couple weeks in the two weekends from now and um and man some some like uh awful shit has happened since uh, since the nominees were first announced so the thing is that um a month ago in the mid-january um the academy announced their nominations and you know all of the uh, actor, all the acting categories for best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, and best supporting actress were all white nominees, and uh, we forgot to mention this the last time we talked about it. But this isn't like the first time it's happened, obviously, right? But it's the second year in a row. This exact thing happened last year, uh, which is even more interesting if you think about um, when Patricia Arquette won, mm-hmm. and uh, she made that speech about how um, it's time for like other marginalized people, like like people of color or like lgbtq folks to like fight for women because nobody's been fighting for women so people like really called patricia Arquette out on her white feminism when she did that um but like even following that year now we have another year which is happening so yes like you know last time we talked about the os- hashtag oscar so white um we also talked about how it's just it's kind of like this manifestation of um This very systemic like misogyny and systemic uh, racism that keeps women and people of color outside of like um, uh, big, big executive roles or even like behind the camera and in front of the camera. So there's that piece. And then there's the piece where all of these clueless slash racist slash ignorant white actors have come out to make comments about the controversy you just kind of want everybody to not talk because you're afraid that one of your faves is going to climb into the problematic faves
1: (laughs) side. So, so Amy, you've been collecting a list, right? Yes. Of terrible responses to the Oscars so white um, discussion by white actors um, I believe you have a list of these. Yes. I'm hoping you can share them with us and we Sorry, can just run through <laughs> in the last two weeks what has happened. Yeah. In the last month.
0: Since in the since, last month. Yeah. Okay. Since this came out. So it's like, you know, I make lots of lists in my life, like things to do, um, uh, you know, uh, things I have to get done at work or whatever. This is one of the most horrific lists I have had to made in the past couple of weeks. Um, so I'm just going to read quotes and who said them and we can maybe chat about some of them.
1: And these are all responses to the Oscar So White discussion that have happened in the last month. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So let's see. Sorry, I'm looking for this. Gotta turn the page. (laughs) Oh wait, how long is this list? Is it two pages? (laughs) I'm not kidding. Uh,
0: All right. Okay. So let's start off with Helen Mirren, uh, who just um, came out with saying that, "quote I think it's unfair to attack the Academy. It just so happened this year it went that way." So. Hella Marin like followed this quote by saying that yes, of course we have to look at bigger systemic issues with Hollywood and it, it's you know, it's unfair to just sort of focus on Oscars. But I would say that this is untrue and um and also Hella Marin's like there's a cluelessness here because she says that it just so happened to go this way this year, but it didn't just so happen to go this way this year. It went this way last year and it's been this way for like decades
1: since the Academy was founded. Right. This isn't like a coincidence or like a fluke. This is this isn't something that's that's random that hasn't ever happened before. What she's overlooking there is like the pattern of systemic racism and discrimination, which uh, which Oscar So White is so clearly pointing out. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> All right, and uh, the next, which is too bad because I like
0: Helen Miren so much. I know. Well, I feel like Helen Miren on my list on this amazing list that I put together, um, her thing was maybe the most nuanced and least offensive. Okay. I think I think she's just like uninformed. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's hear some more. <laughs> yeah. So this one is. Uh, I would say is one of the worst. Uh, It's from Charlotte Rampling, who is nominated this year for her role in 45 years. Uh, And the quote is, when asked about the controversy and asked about um, boycott by black actors to the Oscars, Charlotte Rampling said, it is racist against whites. One can never really know, but sometimes maybe black actors did not deserve to make the final list. My heart rate literally was like racing as I was reading that. Um, so,
1: so there's a couple problems with that. Where do you want to start?
0: <laughs> well, um, first, I just want to start with saying, "Fuck Charlotte," rambling because this is just this is like completely racist. Um, first of all this, it, this it, it is not racist against white to boycott a white supremacist institution that continues to support white supremacist ideas by uplifting white supremacist voice so like st- stop it with this nonsense i'm not playing with that and then to say that like well maybe sometimes black actors did not deserve to make the final list well no that's not how it works like like there's systemic like racism that keeps people away from getting to be able to even get close to making this list so this notion that like oh as a as white actors somehow you're just better than other like like actors of color just because you're so much more talented it's a very white supremacist notion that like if you were good enough you would be here that's fucking untrue. Like, um, we're, we are not fucking playing this game. And, like, I am not here for Charlotte Rambling. And you know what? I didn't even know who she was before this shit happened. <laughs> and now I'm, like, regretful that I do know who she was. And then I was talking to um, uh, somebody else who works at Sif, Ju- uh, who works at Bitch, uh, Julie, our executive director. And she said that, like, Charlotte Rambling was on Dexter. And that I remembered who she was. Um, she played um, Dexter's uh, therapist. And I remember very clearly watching this and being like, wow, that's amazing. They're having like an older woman, plain older woman who looks like an older woman. Like, this is so great. You know, this is awesome. And now I'm like regretful that I remember that, that I was like rooting for her for that millisecond.
1: You hear this reverse racism argument all the time, usually in discussions on affirmative action, you know, that um, trying to combat discrimination in colleges um, is racist against white people who deserve those spots and should get in. And that's like a real cultural notion in our society about that, like white people deserve these things and uh, pushing back against discrimination is taking something away from white people. And I think that's what Charlotte Rampling is expressing in this idea is like, is like, don't take away my Oscar nomination um, because I'm white. I think that's, that's the fear or the, I think that's, that's the fear that I, that I hear in that quote and also the like lack of regard for people um, who have been discriminated against as well as a lack of awareness about patterns of discrimination that lead to people being blocked out of the film industry, TV industry, and the Oscars specifically. So Charlotte Rampling might be a, is, is a fine actor, but what, what she's ignoring in that statement is that there are systems of privilege built into place that allow her to get awards and allow her to get roles that aren't available to people who aren't white. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. My next. Okay, quote. we're we're
1: two people into this list, and it's two pages long. So maybe we should just.
0: <laughs> well I'll stop talking this is interesting because then i can like kind of categorize these two quotes or, or these three quotes because they're in a way they have a similar feeling uh meryl streep recently said uh because she is a president of a jury panel at the berlin international film festival and um somebody asked her there not so much about this controversy um in the u.s but about um for the berlin film festival there are some films that are from africa or in the middle east and somebody asked her like um can your all-white jury, because she's the president of the jury, and this jury is all white, uh, can your all-white jury really have like the context or reference to, un- to like, really understand and get these films that are made you know, from Africa or from the Middle East? And uh, Meryl Streep went on to say, we're all Africans. <laughs> like, her jam was that she was trying to say, you know, in the end, like um, the, sa- the same feelings of like humanity course through all of us, regardless of our culture. Kumbaya. Right. But when you say a quote like that, um it really diminishes like what it means to be an african uh in in a world you know where we have like notions of of um what narratives get to come out of co- like a continent like africa or like or, or out of the middle east so that's
1: that was not cool but um yeah it sounds like like there's this argument that a lot of people make that they're like why do we have to keep talking about racism can't we all just get along like we're one human race and <laughs> <laughs> that's an argument people, yeah. like, like people make true. all the time. it's true. It's very true. Yeah, and this is this is a this is a succinct summation of the argument of like, right. you know what, we're all Africans. Yeah, why can't we just all get we're along? We're all humans. It doesn't like, of course, our all white jury can judge these films, mm-hmm. because at heart we're all one human race. Right.
0: And then like she went on to point out that like, well, actually, as a woman and being the president of this jury, and also there are a lot of women on this jury, so like that's a big breakthrough. But that's actually that's a very white feminist thing to say. It's like it's a big breakthrough for whom? Um, so Meryl Streep, stop making me dislike you because I love The Devil Wears Prada. (laughs) I really love that movie and, (laughs) and I really want to continue to watch it like for no reason. So please stop talking. Um, uh, another, another quote is from Julie Delpy, um, who's a French actor who's been, I think she's most well known in the States for like Before Sunset and Before Sunrise, that series with Richard Linklater. Um, She was at Sundance Film Festival promoting another film, super white film, called Wiener Dog. Um, And and she was asked about this controversy. And she said, quote, I sometimes wish I was African-American. At least people don't bash them afterward when they say something. And the context of this is that um, she was saying, you know, like as a woman, I have called out how misogynistic the industry is, but like people like, shut me down and didn't want to talk about it. And so she's saying, you know what, if I was black, like I wouldn't have received that same backlash. So again, this ignores the systemic racism that keeps black folks' <clears throat> voices and their narratives and, and and like job opportunities away from them. Um, <sighs> You got one more for the series? Oh I, yes, another one is from Michael Caine, um, you know our favorite grandpa actor, uh, <laughs> uh, who said, "Who, who?" By the way, um, has been nominated six times and won twice. Okay, this is like a good frame of reference to understand this. Um, he was responding to this controversy, and he was kind of like being paternalistic and saying to black actors, "Quote: Be patient. Of course, it will come." It took me years to get an Oscar. So it's this notion of like if you just wait for your time it'll happen for you, but that's not how like systemic oppression works. Systemic oppression works by like keeping you away from this for as long as they possibly can and until we address it, um nothing will change. You just can't sit and watch patiently without um causing a ruckus and calling people out. So that's a really that's another
1: yeah. I mean that that idea uh is predicated on the idea that like that that change will just happen naturally, and I think one thing that's worth pointing out in the context of that quote is that I just looked up the number over the eighty-seven years of the Academy Awards, fourteen men and women of color have won awards for Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. So it's been eighty-seven years, and change has not come. Only fourteen people have gotten awards who are people of color in those categories. Uh, so this is not a situation where we can just like be patient and let let time take its course
0: right and it's really like paternalistic and clueless to say something like that to black actors who face like serious barriers to even getting a role mm-hmm. or even having roles created where they that they can play them just mm-hmm. tell them just wait for it that's not how this that's not how any of this works um so sorry michael kane you're a jerk um the next one is from joel cohen of the cohen brothers and again context um these two guys have been nominated for 13 Academy Awards Wow! and they have both won four times. So for them to say, for Joel Cohen to say this, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, so he said, quote, the Oscars are not that important. Um, so it's this notion that like, who cares? Well, of course you can say who cares because you've been nominated more than a fucking dozen times mm-hmm. and you've won four with your brother. And you know what? You're not even the only brother team in Hollywood who makes films like like there's so much space for like cis straight white men to make films in Hollywood that they're like more than one br- brother team that make like corny whatever white people movies. And so for him to say this, it really got me going. And then in, it was for a, an interview with The Daily Beast with this writer named Jenny Yamoto, and Jenny Yamoto actually asked him like, uh, is it important or not important to consciously factor in concerns like diversity while you're making the film? And uh, Ethan Cohen answered, not in the least. Uh, he said it's important to tell the story you're telling the right way which might involve black people or or people of whatever heritage or ethnicity or it might not Hmm. and then joel even went on to say that the question that was being asked is idiotic whoa yes because he's saying that this question doesn't take into account how stories are told you know like you just can't like be plugging in um you know having like blank spaces where it's like okay here's here's a black actor or like here's a woman actor or whatever that's not how it works but like their response doesn't look at like who gets to tell the stories, not how these stories are getting told, but who gets to tell them. And it's, it's really like lacking in self-awareness to just be like, it's not that important to win an Oscar. Like it's actually about how you tell the story and, and not examining like how much like garbage dump truck loads of privilege these two men have in saying these comments. And this is
1: so in contrast uh, to the brilliant statement by, uh, by, by, Viola Davis, who also said, who said a- along similar lines, the Os- it's not just the Oscars, but that the Oscars are important and that the dis- the discrimination or lack of diversity at the Oscars points to the discrimination and lack of diversity in Hollywood in general. And so what Viola Davis was saying with that line, which I think some people misconstrued or, or distorted to say, oh, the Oscars aren't, it's not It's not a problem with the Oscars. What she was saying is, it's not just a problem with the Oscars. The Oscars are symptomatic of Hollywood as a whole. Um, and also her point about, her point in a, in a recent award acceptance speech about how it's so rare for there to be roles available for her as a woman of color, um, that it's just rare for those roles to exist. And that's what the Coen brothers ignore in this when they're saying, like, you don't have to factor in diversity. Well, it's, you have to look at like how the ma- vast majority of films are about white people and that the majority of people who get speaking roles and complex roles are white men. And so it's not saying to the Coen brothers, like, Oh, you should like just cast a random black person in one of your films. I I just think what, what they're overlooking here is that um, the majority of stories that do get told are the, are ones that are about white people and that really for actors uh, to even have the shot at being on screen or getting an award is is rare unless they're white dudes,
0: right because it's also about funding like like um what will big studios fund? what will they put money into? um and they think that like these are the stories that people want to see, which is untrue. like you can just tell them the success of um Sari show mm-hmm. right like he put out a show about people of color, and people loved it, mm-hmm. so obviously, there's like this want and need for this, but the pe the folks in power. Um, feel as if like there's no market for it, um, which actually brings me to another quote. But before I get there, uh, I want to talk about a Clint East- Eastwood quote. So this one's kind of like a little funny because it was from TMZ. It looked like he was like waiting on the sidewalk for his valet to show up for- with his car. So they asked him about this controversy, and uh, Clint Eastwood said, "Quote: All I know is there's so- all I know is there's thousands of people in the Academy, and the majority of them haven't won Oscars." A lot of people are crying, I guess. So this is from a four-time Oscar nominee, <laughs> uh, and it's very dismissive. It's another thing where it's like, "Well, you didn't win any, so now you're being a crybaby," or "You didn't get nominated, so now you're being a crybaby." Um, but back to the thing about funding um, and and how funding correlates to like who, what stories get told. Bill Maher, <laughs> oh,
1: my least favorite person.
0: <laughs> we we have a gigantic least favorite personalist. he's
1: he's on there (laughs) yeah um he was talking
0: about this controversy and uh and he made a remark saying quote asians really are racist so the context of this is that he's saying that um the reason why hollywood is so white is because of the foreign market and how hollywood needs to make films that appeal to foreign market and uh apparently the foreign market loves white people um this statement is was like is so clueless. It completely ignores like the systemic history, like the history of the Academy when it was founded, like almost a hundred years ago. um, And how it was, how it was founded as a white supremacist organization, because, you know, of just, just by the nature of what it is and like who it nominates and who it highlights. Right. And then it also, um, it's just simply untrue because the, if if the foreign market like really drives um, like what kind of films get made um a film like the film that charlotte rambling is nominated for 45 years uh wouldn't get made it's a film about uh an uh, old an elderly couple celebrating the 45th anniversary you know it's like a very quiet film a film like brooklyn where um the w- woman who stars in that film is nominated for best actor that film w- wouldn't get made if it, it was just reliant solely reliant on foreign markets so it's this notion of that like like racist Chinese people are um, making Hollywood uh, racist. And it, it, it really gives a lot of power to um, foreign markets that I don't believe, I just feel like it's simply not there.
1: Well, I think, I think what this quote plays into is that um, the, the same idea we were talking about before of, of, people, of people who are involved in the film industry, the TV industry saying, well, the market's just not there. Like we make movies that we want to have be popular. So these are the actors who are popular. Yeah, they're all white, but we're going to make we're going to give the people what they want and really ignoring the idea that uh, there's a lot of people who want to see more diversity in films and want to see representation of people who look like them in films. And so that kind of self-perpetuating idea of like, well, we do what's popular and what's popular is white people uh, is both self-defeating, I think, from an economic standpoint and just untrue. <laughs> from from a social standpoint
0: <laughs> well not according to these folks um so that wraps up my list of awful things oh that's awful it? and terrible things
1: oh that's it that was only that was <laughs> only like 15 minutes
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i'm actually working on a piece uh where all these quotes are going to be listed and the context and um, an explanation about why they don't work and uh other little quibbles i've got going on about them if you want to check it
1: out do you have any good quotes Is is there anybody that you're like, actually, here's some good news. Yes.
0: Uh, Emma Thompson, in response to the controversy, Emma Thompson said, let's face it. The Oscars membership is mainly old white men. That's the fact of it. So, I mean, either you wait for them all to die... Or kill them off slowly <laughs> <laughs> so those are those are two amazing options uh, <laughs> and we saw how great that worked um, over the weekend with the Supreme Court so, <laughs> so uh, those there are options which I really appreciate <laughs> murder <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or, or slow death by declining bodies <laughs>
1: The next topic we're talking about is comments made by Gloria Steinem and Madeline Albright about, the, <laughs> about voting for Hillary Clinton in the presidential election. Um, but we wanted to start off this segment with a discussion of our last episode. We got a ton of listener feedback on our last episode. This calls for a special song from Amy.
0: Yes, it's mailback corner time. I don't remember how the song goes, but I'll make up a new one. Uh, mailback Corner's here! Yeah! I love the song with something like "It's Mailbag Corner." Oh yeah, it's like an old mail. What is it? It's Mailbag Corner. It's mailbag corner. <laughs> okay, this is mailbag
1: corner where we read uh, listener feedback, um, and we got a lot. Of, we got a lot of people writing in about our last episode about um, talking about Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, and multiple people wrote in to point out that we failed to mention uh, the role that uh, religion plays in the race and how it's significant that Bernie Sanders is Jewish. Um, this comment we got from listener Jenny, who lives in Massachusetts, um, is I think pretty spot on. She says. You know, Bernie's religion doesn't change the fact that he is still the benefit of white male privilege. But uh, although I'm an atheist, it would mean a lot to me to see a Jew in the Oval Office as it would break the stranglehold Christianity or at least performance of Christianity has over our ostensibly secular state. I think that's a really good point to consider that our country is so Christian dominated and our politics are so focused on the at least as she says the performance of Christianity where Candidates have to go out of their way to reiterate how they believe God wants them to be president, and that they're running for president because of God and thanking Jesus all the time. That um, that it's it's significant to have somebody who's who's overtly not Christian running for office in that public way. Um, and although there's you know although America is supposed to celebrate religious freedom for everybody, um, when you look at a lot of our when you look at a lot of our institutions, they're really they're really welded to Christianity. Um, and that you know Christianity in our country works as both a voting block a really powerful get out the vote effort among evangelicals and um, it's a it's a card that politicians play saying like like you know I'm good because I'm so super Christian um, even if they're doing completely shady dirty stuff behind closed doors um, so thanks for writing in with that comment Jenny and a couple other listeners who pointed out um, that it's really interesting to see uh, Bernie Sanders be really overtly, it's it's really interesting to see Bernie Sanders talk about Judaism and be running for office um in, in a position that's been largely that's um that's been super christian for our, our entire history um christian and catholic so thanks for that okay oh uh so now we're going to keep talking about the presidential election uh and what we're going to talk about is some comments made by Gloria Steinem and Madeleine Albright last week um it, you've probably already heard about this but just to bring everybody up to speed um Former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright at a rally for Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire last week um, said, uh, we, we can tell our story of how we climb the ladder and a lot of younger women. Uh, oh, oh, anyway, I'm going to redo that. Um, Madeleine Albright basically said that she called out young women who think that the fight for equality is over. She said it's not done. There's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Um, and this is something that she says all the time about lots of things. It's literally emblazoned on a Starbucks mug with her name on it. It's like a famous phrase by Madeleine Albright. But in this context, it's it's really condescending. And what it's saying is, like, uh, if you're a woman and you're not voting for Hillary Clinton, there's a special place in hell for you. And that it's your job as a woman to support this female candidate, Hillary Clinton. Uh, I think she should retire from saying that.
0: <laughs> like, really. Yes, because it's really... Um it's really outdated Mm -hmm. and it frames women as like this monolith of, uh, we all have like some uh, the same opinion. We will all like be the same, have the same voting ideas of what we think is right. Um, and, and, and like historically, like there have been, you know, women who left other women behind mm-hmm. uh and and like women who like, were seeking progress and left other women behind like with white feminists like um who did not include w- feminists of color you know when they were fighting for a women's lib uh, during the second wave so there's like this notion that that like all women are in this together but for some feminists for some women we, we like we haven't felt that way mm-hmm. we felt like left behind so this notion that like if you know if There's a special place in hell um, for women who don't support one another. Uh, You know, when when I heard that quote, because it it was actually the first time I've heard her say that, um, literally my first thought was there must be like an entire continent of white women then. Because like white women have failed women of color for a long time and continue to do so. And like in ways like this that seem like um, innocuous and very subtle, but it you know, like, when you say that, like, what do you mean by that? Like, uh, how how can women of color who have been disproportionately affected by policies, um, you know, that have been pushed through by white women, how, how are we supposed to feel when a white woman says this to us? Like, I'm supposed to fight for you, but you didn't fight for us. So it's, it's really um, dismissive and outdated. And it just doesn't make sense. And it doesn't appeal to, I think, um, younger, or I'm sorry, not younger, but Feminists or women who have an understanding that, like, this is not how it works.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what it really does is, is 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 overlook the agency of women to make decisions based on a variety of factors, including policy about what's 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 the, what's impacting their life. And it's interesting that this quote came out right before uh, Michelle Alexander, who's the author of The New Jim Crow, published a piece in The Nation about um, ways that Hillary Clinton's and the ways that Hillary Clinton and policies that she's supported have undermined black women in the United States. And that it's that for a lot of black women supporting Hillary Clinton is not the right decision for them, even though, you know, it'd be nice to see a woman in the white house, you, you, they, they don't want to support her policies. Um, and so this, this to me, it reminds me so much of the huge discussion that was happening online a few years ago about solidarity is for white women, you know, that it's, um, that the experiences of all women are not the same. And so to say that, you know, as a woman, you should be doing this, 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 and this to support other women uh, ignores those those big gaps in experiences. I do wonder, like, you know, would she be saying female voters should go to hell for not supporting Sarah Palin. Like, that's exactly my thought. I'm no. like,
0: am I supposed to vote for Michelle Bachman? Yeah. Right, because, like, um, we're we're all... No, that's not how
1: any of this works. Yeah, because regardless of her gender, you can disagree with her policies and decide that her policies aren't good for you. Um, the quote from Gloria Steinem is, is more nuanced. Uh, this was in an interview with my least favorite person, Bill, <laughs> Bill Maher. Uh, Bill Maher, I have a thing against him because I am an atheist and he's an atheist, but he is a terrible atheist and is like Islamophobic and just gives everything a bad name. So that's my personal vendetta. But um, she said that you know she finds that young women now are uh, very activist and they're and they're super feminist and that's awesome. Um, that they're mad as hell because they're graduating in debt and they're gonna earn a million dollars less over their lifetime and pay it back. They're mad about what's happening to them. So she's calling out the wage gap there, etc. And then she was saying that. When Bill Maher followed up saying that young women don't like Hillary Clinton, Steinem responded that women get more radical as we get older, which is not a trend seen among male voters. And she said, it's not fair to measure most women by the standard of most men because they're going to get more activists as they grow older. When you're young, you're just thinking, where are the boys? The boys are with Bernie. And it's that last line that really raised people's eyebrows because it made it seem like Steinem was saying that young women would support Bernie just to get with the guys. And like be in like the cool guy club mm-hmm. or sleep with guys. She issued a statement following up saying, Ah, I'm really sorry, that's not what I meant. Um, she said, What I had what I had said in the show was the opposite. The young women are active, that they're very mad, and that when they gravitate to Bernie or Hillary, women young women are activist and feminist in greater numbers than ever before. And so what she was trying to say there, but that got distorted and convoluted and wasn't said well at all was that uh bernie is like is is like a guy approved candidate that there's like a cool girl problem where um women don't want to support some like women uh sorry whatever, whatever. the things that are female in our society or feminine in our society are often dismissed or disregarded as not as good and that bernie sanders um uh, is being seen as cool whereas hillary clinton is like not cool uh and so people want to go with the cool candidate, Bernie Sanders. But think about the role that gender plays in that. Um, that's what she was trying to say. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's very, first of all, like her first statement was very clear. And then her second follow-up statement to clarify her first statement didn't kind of make sense. Because her first statement is very clear. She, I mean, and, and her second statement contradicts her first statement because she said that like um, women become more radical as they become older. And her second statement, she's like, no, like young women are already radicalized. Um but but again like this statement both of these statements kind of um ignore that like young women already have their shit together they're mm-hmm. like and, and it ignores this notion that like no not all of us are trying to like um uh g- get away from feminized things or like from other women or like think that like womeny things are uncool like Th- that is that is just untrue um so there's she's just like imposing the stereotype then on like younger voters younger women voters and how we're kind of like we, we've been socialized so hardcore that we kind of don't know what's best for us and so we're just like gravitating towards like more masculinity things or we're like where all the boys are at um that really uh dismisses like our own agency and our own ability to make decisions based on information that we can gather on the internet
1: mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah I think what's important here is is to think about about the role that sexism plays in our perceptions of Hillary Clinton. Um, but I don't necessarily think that there's a that there's a generational gap there. Like I think that young women are paying attention to and are aware of and are thinking about ways that sexism plays in our perceptions of Hillary Clinton. And so are older women. And so that's something that we should keep on our radar as thinking like, oh, why do I think of her as not as cool or not as revolutionary or not as hip? What role does gender play in that? Um, But you can have that consciously on your mind and be thinking about that and still say, yeah, I'm not going to vote for her because I don't like her policies.
0: Okay, so it's the end of the show where we chat about one thing we've watched, one thing we've read, and one thing we're listening to. Um, I want to shout out this movie that came out uh, last summer. It's called *Advantageous*, and I know it's like a, about a year old, but it's on Netflix, so you can watch it anytime. And we actually published a review of it on bitchmedia.org by writer Lee Kolb. And um, and I finally got around to watching it, and I'm and I'm so glad I did, and I'm like regretful I didn't watch it sooner. Um, so it's this. Uh, It's sort of like near future dystopic uh, sci-fi film and it's written and directed by Jennifer Pong and it's co-written by Jacqueline Kim who stars in it and it's about like um about a society where women are marginalized and there's like this obsession with um, preserving youth or like looking younger. And also like this notion of what, what is the use of women and, but like outside of their reproductive capabilities to an extent, there's a little bit of like that theme going through. Um, But it's like so chilling, so beautiful, like, amazingly acted uh it's devastating and it centers on the like an Asian American family um with Jacqueline Kim as the mom and this amazing young actor Samantha Kim as her daughter uh, it's such a gorgeous story and I, I I I'm surprised that more people weren't talking about this film when it came because I, I did read reviews of it um but man, it was so good. I, I really was just like riveted as I, as I was watching it.
1: That, that's been on my Netflix queue, meaning to watch it for a long time now. So maybe I'll actually yeah. watch it. It's one of those like sort of like quiet, subtle films. So not everybody
0: may may enjoy that, but I really loved it. And I love the, the really subtle um, cues in the writing to tell you about like what the society and culture is like and like women's place in it. Um, and then also this sort of like centering of um, uh, Asian family without sort of being like look it's an asian family (laughs) it's just like it's just like these are asian actors playing a role um but without making it feel like oh like they're like whitewashing them or anything it isn't like that yeah it's an amazing film great i'll finally get my rear and gear and actually watch it yes awesome okay so uh i also uh have checked out this really awesome book from the library i was um I was like taking a break at the library and I was sitting, accidentally I sat in front of the graphic novel section without realizing I had. You're like, oh dear God,
1: I'm in front of the graphic novel section.
0: (laughs) I was, I I sat down and I was like playing with my phone and I was like,
1: maybe I should look at the books. (laughs) We have an ongoing disagreement about how I love comics and I love graphic novels and I'm slowly forcing them upon, like I'm slowly forcing them into your life. Yeah. But I'm so glad you... Accidentally wandered yeah. into the graphic novels section of the library. I'm not
0: horrified. I mean, I I, I really loved um like Daniel Klaus and uh, Adrian Tomine when I was younger. Okay, but I just haven't read many graphic novels. Since well, what's then. the
1: one you're holding in your hands right now? Yes, it's called
0: Aya or Aya, um, and A Y A A Y A. Yes, and it's about um in like 1970s ivory coast so i know nothing about that time period but i guess it was around a time where they were having like a really burgeoning economy and it kind of tells this like completely different narrative than what we understand about like quote like african stories um and it's just it's just a like a really fun story about and this young 19-year-old woman who uh, has dreams of becoming a doctor has a, a really like conservative dad. Um, and, you know, just like her daily trials and tribulations with her friends and her family. Uh, it's just like a really fun peek into life. And, and. Uh, cool. Yeah. I, who's I really who's like the it. author and the artist? Yeah. I, I, I'm not really sure like who's which, but the names on the cover are Marguerite Abouet and Clement Obrere. Wow. I, I really tried hard to say those names.
1: I've never heard of this this graphic novel and yeah. I love graphic novels, so yes. I'm gonna look
0: it up. Whoa, I, I taught something. To yes. Sarah <laughs> and I just started reading it and but it's like it's it's really fun and interesting cool. so far. Yeah, and so yeah. the title
1: is it's AYA I uh, um I'm gonna look that up right now.
0: Yeah, and um it was it was a series and Drawn and Quarterly put it out.
1: Oh, they're the one butter. of my favorite publishers. Yeah. They're wonderful. So check it out, Sarah Merck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, to close out the show week, we're gonna close the song and um Uh, This is from the band Alabama Shakes, which just won the Grammy for Best Rock Performance this year. Um, And Alabama Shakes is a band that I've heard a lot on the radio. I listen to the radio all day long and listen to music, and I've heard their music a lot before. Brittany Howard is the main singer and guitarist but I'd never seen them live before. I'd never looked up a YouTube video or anything, and they performed on the Grammys this weekend, and I was just blown away. I was like, wow, that's what that's what they're like in real life? Um, Brittany Howard just like has a voice like no other, and her performance is so dynamic. Uh, so since seeing them on the Grammys, I've been watching their YouTube videos kind of nonstop. Um, let's listen to Alabama Shakes. Uh, their song, Don't Wanna Fight, it just won best rock song at the Grammys. Let's give it a listen. Thanks for listening. Yay! Lying down ain't easy When everyone is pleasing I can't get no relief Living over The constant dedication Keeping on water and power on There ain't no money there Why can't I catch my breath I'm gonna work myself to death
0: This episode of Back Talk is brought to you by longtime bitch media sponsor, Glad Rags, bringing you all of the essentials for a safe, sustainable period. Learn more about cloth pads and menstrual cups, plus, get free shipping within the USA on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at gladrags.com. Make sure to tell them that
1: Back Talk sent you. Thanks for listening to Back Talk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck. And Amy Lam from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Bitch Media is a reader and listener supported feminist nonprofit. If you want to support the show and our work, please head over to bitchmedia.org and donate.